So, it's our last week in Galatians, at least for this series. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 18. So Paul's been been laying some truth in in this letter to to the people of Galatia. Galatia, by extension to us. In his final address to the Galatians, he gives a pretty stark warning. But he follows it with wonderful promise. Both the warning and the promise are still relevant today. And not only are they relevant, they're incredibly important. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 18. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my body, the, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. In your name, amen. Any of you guys have a hard time trusting? You have a hard time like following what, what someone else is, is telling you to do? I, I can have a bit of an issue with that. I have a bit of an uh, let me Let me figure out where you're coming from here. Like it's, it's really hard for me at this point in time to watch the news because I never know what I can trust and what I can't. It's hard for me to get on social media because I never know what I can trust and what I can't. I'm constantly nervous about what, like what am I, what am I able to believe in? What am I able to put my faith in? What am I able to put my trust in? In our passage today, Paul is pretty much summing up the whole book of Galatians with verse 7. 
He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Do not be fooled. There is nothing we can do to pull one over on God. And we can trust in that. We can rest in that. There is nothing we can do to fool, to trick, to mislead God. We can't convince him that something is true when it isn't. We can't hide or disguise anything from him, even even the things that we do out of ignorance, the things we do out of response to lies that we believe. Even this doesn't deceive or trick our God. We cannot distort the truth. For the truth has been set by God. He has not made truth relative. He has not made truth something that is subject to our whims and desires. He has set truth in stone. And it can never be moved. But that that doesn't stop us from trying to distort the truth. Because that's what we do, right? We try to make truth fit our agenda. There's a, there's a phrase, and I just think it fits this so well. It's, often I hear it at dealing with sports and that kind of thing, but the phrase is, uh, figures never lie, liars figure. And both of those are... Is that true? Figures never lie, liars figure. I don't, I don't agree with that. Because, yeah, liars, we, we, we twist things. We want things to say a certain way. We figure out a way that this is going to work for me or this is how I'm going to spin it, right? And on the other side, we get, like, figures, and I'm, I'm going to figure out how I can make these numbers say what I want them to say. We twist Truth, we twist things so that it fits how we want to see it, how we want things portrayed, how it makes sense to us, how it works for us. We manipulate facts, we manipulate figures. We try to twist the truth. And that's what the false teachers, the deceivers in Galatia were doing. They were twisting the truth, distorting the truth, making it say something that it didn't say and leaving things out that it does say. Paul's opening salvo in the whole book, his initial shot across the bow to the Galatian church came right away in chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The Galatians were being deceived. They were being swayed by lies, by half-truths. This is the whole reason that Paul is writing this letter. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he willingly became on behalf of the whole world was being twisted 
It was being distorted. What Christ did to set us free was being manipulated so that freedom was being replaced with chains. Due to this manipulation, this distortion, what sets us free, the gospel, what sets us free was instead putting us back into slavery. And so Paul follows up this statement on God in the Galatians with a phrase that is both stark warning and also a wonderful promise. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Paul uses an illustration of one of the most basic and understood truths in the history of mankind. That of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvest. In farming, in gardening, this truth of reaping what you sow, it's an absolute principle. A principle that cannot be changed, for it's absolute. And Paul appears to want us to see at least two aspects of it. First, whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow tomato seeds, you're not going to get corn. No matter how much you want corn to grow... If you sow tomato seeds, you're getting tomatoes. You're not getting corn. And the second principle is whatever you sow, you will reap. Though the seed may lie in the ground to no apparent effect for a long time, it will come up. It's not the reaping that determines the harvest, but the sowing. It's not the reaping that determines the harvest, but the sowing. And this law of returns, this absolute principle of of harvesting what you plant, Paul is saying that it is just as unstoppable in the spiritual world as it is in the agricultural one. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. God is not mocked. We cannot trick him or deceive him. If we sow to feed the flesh, to satisfy the flesh, or if we put it another way, if we practice if we intentionally engage in, invest in, are trained by, intentionally plant in the soil of our lives, if we practice the things that our old nature wants us to, that our old nature desires us to practice, then what grows and what we harvest is corruption. What we harvest is destruction. Again, I want to stress the difference between do and practice. Throughout his epistle, Paul has been clear that Christians can, and very often do, fall back into some kind of slavery to sin. And for that period of time, be it a minute or a month, they lose their grip on the gospel. They don't then cease to be Christians saved by grace. But as Christians, we are still subject to the law of returns. And so what we sow, we will reap. If I sow lies, 
I will reap the consequences of lying. People will not trust me anymore. If I sow 55 and a 45, I'll reap the speeding ticket. There are consequences for our sin that we will have to deal with in the flesh and that Christ had to deal with on the cross. There must be payment. Just don't hear this as Paul writing that as soon as you fall into sin, as soon as you succumb to the pulling of the old nature or the temptation of the devil that God forsakes you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. If any forsaking, if any abandoning is done between us and God, it is we who forsake him. And we do that by sowing to the flesh, by intentionally practicing the things of the flesh. God is not mocked. He cannot be deceived. Continuing in verse 8, the other half of it, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We sow to the Spirit of God by obeying God out of the grateful joy that comes from knowing our status as children of God. We sow to the Spirit by resting in the Word and the promises that God has made us, and we rest in Him. The Holy Spirit guides and enables us to do the things God desires us to do. This is not easy. It's not a simple path. That's why Paul further admonishes admonishes us in verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. And we read in verse 12 that it means persecution. He knows that this is not easy. Sowing to the Spirit is a long, hard, trying process. Our old nature is constantly raging against this journey. But the Holy Spirit trains us, works on us, just as we can practice the desires of the flesh. So by the power of the Holy Spirit active in our lives, we can practice sowing to the Spirit. We may not reap quickly, and we may not see all that will be reaped from our sowing, all that will be harvested from the seeds that we sow. But we can know that there is a great harvest for those that sow to please the Spirit. And the crop is eternal life. Eternal life with Jesus our Lord and God our Father. Eternal life. So what are we sowing? What seeds are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the spirit? What are you sowing? Sometimes... Sometimes I wonder if we know what we're sowing. Sometimes I wonder if we are being deceived and think we're sowing to the Spirit when we're actually sowing to the flesh. 
Part of sowing to the Spirit is doing good works, doing the things that God wants us to do. But why are we doing them? What is the motivation behind our actions? Are we doing good works so that we can stay out of hell? Are we doing good works that we might maintain our salvation? That we might participate in our sanctification? Are we doing good works so that God will be happy with us? To keep Him from smiting us? To earn His mercy? If any of these is the case, if these are the reasons why we are following God's commands, then Paul has told us previously in this letter that we are in danger of losing our salvation. For ultimately, each of these scenarios is us-focused and not God-focused. It is the old nature saying, I can do it. I need to do it. I can play some role, some part in God accepting me. And this is not sowing to the Spirit. On the other hand, are we just resting in God's grace and mercy? Are we sitting there saying, God has said he will never abandon or forsake me. Since I don't earn anything, I won't be doing anything. And that's the other end of the pendulum. And God has told, or Paul has told us that this is abusing grace. This is not sowing to the Spirit either. Both of these are sowing to the flesh. Following the instructions of God in order to maintain salvation and keep ourselves out of hell and not following the instructions of God because He promised to never leave us or forsake us are both sowing to the flesh. They are both motivated by us, for us. They are both motivated by the old nature. So they both sow to the flesh. To be motivated by the Spirit is to sow to the Spirit. Paul is telling us that real Christianity is a matter of inward change and not external observance. He focuses on motivations, as we see in verse 12. When we are motivated out of thankfulness and love for God and our fellow man, when we are motivated by the urging and the nurturing and training of the Holy Spirit to please God, then we are sowing by the Spirit. And we rest in the tension of the two extremes, of losing and abusing grace. And the Spirit holds us there. It holds us there. Exactly where we need to be in the loving embrace of the living God, washed and purified in His grace, His love, the works of His Son, the good news for us, the gospel. He holds us there, keeping us from the extremes. It is only by the power, the enabling, of the Spirit that we are able to sow to the Spirit. As Tim Keller puts it, the gospel can be well summarized in one remarkable sentence. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. 
I am saved. We are saved solely and wholly because of Christ's work and not our own. And when we live in that, when we rest in that, the world loses its power over us. As Donald Guthrie writes in his commentary on the Galatians, the natural world has ceased to have any claim on us. Because of Christ and his work on the cross, his crucifixion and our faith in him, the world has been crucified to us and we to it. The world no longer holds any claim on us. We are now Christ's. We are sons of the Heavenly Father, heirs with Christ. Heirs with Christ. And in Him, and because of Him, we have become a new creation. We have become new in Christ. We have been washed with the waters of regeneration, and we have become new. With this rebirth, this being born again by the Spirit, God creates in us a new motivation for obedience. We are filled with a grateful love that arises from a faith view of what Christ has done. This new motivation, it renews us from the inside out. Paul is telling us that living in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, being nestled in the embrace of God is a way of life. It is a life, a walk, an embrace wrapped in grace, empowered by grace, one that God has extended to us that we have not earned, one that we have been given, one that God is calling us into. We have been justified by grace. We are being sanctified by grace because of faith in what Christ has done. And we continue in this grace, earning nothing, simply responding out of love, And that response to God overflows into the community around us. I pray that as we realize the extent to which God has blessed us with his grace, that it would overflow in our lives and bless our neighbor, the one sitting in your pew with you, the one who lives across the street, the one who lives across town. And may that overflow bless our church. And may God use that overflow in our church to reach out into our community and to be a blessing there. God's abundant grace is enough for all of us. He wants it to be for all of us. May he give us the courage and the strength and the passion to reach out into our community. And may his grace and love have the desired effect there. For we know that his grace is enough and that it is sufficient. Amen.